Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Taking a look around the grounds this week, the Aussie Sevens women have done it again. Equal pay for the US women's national soccer team and the Aussies go for gold in snow sports. My name is Chloe Dalton. I'm an Olympic gold medalist in rugby sevens and I play AFLW for the GWS Giants. Usually my co-host is Bez, but she's currently living it up in a van up the North Coast with very shocking Wi-Fi. So we've got a very, very special co-host this week. Bez is tough to replace, so we knew we had to bring in the big guns and this person actually has really big guns. I don't know. I think they're as big post-retirement. <laughs> <laughs> we have the most successful Australian female Paralympian of all time, Ellie Cole. Welcome to The Wrap. Well, you say Bez is living it up. I feel like you and I are living it up in here. Yeah, With our are. little guns. Yeah, little. <laughs> I, think yours, I think yours still definitely trump mine. No, the triceps are definitely deflating. <laughs> They've gone a bit floppy post-career. Self-acceptance has been a true thing in the last six months, but I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for doing it. I'm very excited that you're coming in. I sent you a very last minute text message this morning. You've, you've rocked up. You're I'll, good like that. I will drop things for you. You know, you've done some incredible things for the Paralympic movement. So, you know, you're one step away from me naming your first, my first child after you. Whoa, whoa, so, you know, filling, filling in for a podcast <laughs> is nothing, Chloe. Thank you very, very much. So we're going to chat a little bit about how your retirement and everything has gone um, a little bit later in the key story, but let's take a look around the grounds. In Rugby Union, it's a new season, but the same story for the Aussie Sevens women. They were too good for New Zealand in the final of the Dubai Sevens. They got the win 26 to 19. Some incredible tries from the veteran. The big She got the big fend out, Shani Williams. She's strong. She's got proper big guns. Yeah, she does. She puts us guns. to shame, I think. Her bicep is as big as my thigh, I reckon. <laughs> She's solid. She's so and solid. And consistent too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Faith Nathan, Maddie Levi and co-captain Demi Hayes also crossed the line. We saw co-captain Charlotte Kaslik in her first comp after she was voted world Rugby Sevens Player of the Year. So impressive and very well deserved. Big flex. Big flex. Um, she was instrumental in the World Champs victory on Sunday. It was the first leg in their defense of their season-long World Series title and Madison Ashby won player of the final after she secured two key turnovers. All up, they scored 32 tries across their six matches with Levi going over with 11 of those. That's almost six tries a game. I was about to say quick maths, how many tries a game, but you're on it. (laughs) Did I do the maths before the recording just in case I got it wrong? Maybe. (laughs) I'm so happy you didn't ask me that on the spot. (laughs) Damn it. I'm going to do that next time. It was their third straight title at the very well-known Dubai Sevens. Uh, They cemented their status as queens of the desert. And Maddie Ashby said after the final, I think the most pleasing thing is the consistency. We played a bit of park footy out there, but we've prepared well in preseason. And I think as our coaches say, we're the queens of the desert. We thrive off the heat. So for us, it's just a golden win. The World Series now heads to South Africa, where the teams will do battle in Cape Town this weekend. Well, the queens of the desert, that's that's a great title. It's good, right? And we did in the lead up to Tokyo, we did a lot in the heat chamber. 
So we'd go and take like the watt bikes into this heat chamber that was at 37 degrees or something. So I'm, I imagine they're very well prepared for the heat, those girls. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do it. All right, well, let's move on to athletics. In athletics, it was a massive day in Australian marathon history on Sunday when both the men's and women's Aussie records tumbled. Sinead Diver wiped a minute off Benita Johnson's 16-year-old women's national marathon record just hours after Brett Robertson smashed the one and only Rob DeCastella's national men's best, which stood for 36 years. That's massive. I know. That is massive. What year was it? 36 years ago. Glowy oh, quick maths. Oh, what are we in? 2022, 92, 88. And what happened in 1988? Okay, that's too much trivia here. <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> Diver ran a superb time of two hours, 21 minutes, 34 seconds in Valencia, Spain, and was a metronome throughout the entire duration of the 42.2 kilometer race, averaging close, this is quick mass, to three minutes 21 per kilometers for the entirety of the race. That's a quick pace. That's like a Swiss watch, consistent. Beautiful. Very consistent. Diver said after the race, I've wanted this for so long and I wasn't sure if I was good enough to get it. I've had a few goes at it now. This was my third crack at it. And every time I line up, it takes a lot. Things have to really fall into place, so I'm beyond delighted that it's happened. That's beautiful. It's really cool. I'm also delighted it's happened. I think the whole of Australia is delighted that it's happened. Uh, Benita is Australia's best runner of all time, so it's an honour to now have this record. I couldn't be prouder today. That's really special. It is really special. The training partners had an absolute day out in Spain, and Diva said after the race that she actually didn't know if I wanted to know... If <laughs> that quote is confusing. Okay. It's a very confusing quote. So I think what happened is Diver woke up in the morning and Brett Robinson must have been running earlier than her. And I think she woke up and because they're training partners, she woke up and she didn't want to know whether or not he'd he she was nervous for him about whether he'd done the record or not. So she didn't check. And then it was when she was on the way to the line that someone told her and she was absolutely stoked. And I reckon that spurred her on to then go and break the record too. Okay. So that quote that she didn't want to know if he knew, if he got it. (laughs) When I woke up this morning, so I didn't look at my social media or anything, but as we were walking over to the start line, someone asked if I'd heard about his record and I got a rush of excitement. I was so happy to know it before I started running. It all makes sense now. That all makes sense mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Very cryptic, but yeah, it was a with bit. context, not so much. <laughs> in basketball, in the WNBL on the weekend, a top of the table clash between the Bendigo Spirit and Townsville Fire unfortunately made news for all the wrong reasons. So reigning WNBL MVP Annalie Maley, who we chatted to on the wrap last week, claimed that she was on the end of misogynistic verbal abuse by fans during the club's 68 to 66 win in Townsville on Friday night. In a social media post, Opal's representative and Bendigo player Maley called out the drunk men for their allegedly disgusting behavior in Townsville. She nailed the go-ahead three-pointer with a minute to go, which sealed the win for the spirit. They're 4-0 and and on top of the WNBL ladder. She's been really open about her battle with depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. And her Instagram message said, Hey, Townsville Fire, having a group of drunk men at your game, abusing a player with mental health issues is bad form. Be better. It's not passionate fans. It's misogynistic. It's abuse. And it's disgusting. Pretty full on. Have you ever copped anything like that in your career? No, I haven't. But, you know, 
seeing someone like Maylie stand up for this is brilliant, particularly then landing a three-pointer after, just it goes to show her um, skill. But nobody should go out and represent, you know, their hometown or their country and have people in the crowds belittling them for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So um, happy that she took the win and also very happy that she took a stand. Yeah, absolutely. So they're going to investigate it. Uh, Basketball Australia's integrity unit is looking into it and Townsville General Manager Sam Pascoe said the club is waiting for more information on what was said to Maylie. She had 12 points and 16 rebounds and Townsville coach Shannon Seabom had some high praise for her rebounding after the match. He said, she's honestly the best offensive rebounder that I've ever seen in my life. And that team is a phenomenal rebounding team. They had 16-0 boards and had one point per possession on those rebounds. If we cut that in half, we win the game by six. Every little one of those plays counts. It was a really heated match because we knew that that top of the table clash, neither team had been defeated yet. So it was definitely the one to watch. Oh, snow sports. Not my domain, I must say. (laughs) Alrighty, in snow sports, it's been a huge opening weekend in the snow in Ruka, Finland with Danielle Scott claiming gold in the World Cup aerials competition. Jakari Anthony getting it done in the Moguls final and Josie Baff adding to the gold rush in the snowboard cross big final. Scott claimed her fourth World Cup final win of her career when she landed a near perfect back double full fall in the process, scored 99.05 points. Chloe, I think you would get out of bed doing a back double full fall. You just seem like that kind of girl. I kind of just roll. I would definitely add a twist in. Back. <laughs> just the twist. Just the twist. <laughs> it's about all. I know. 19-year-old Baff was stoked with her first global victory in the snowboard cross in just her eighth World Cup race. The 2020 Youth Olympic champion didn't make the quarterfinals at the Winter Games in Beijing earlier this year, but was unstoppable in Ruka and was beside herself with a victory. And to round out the exceptional start to the season, 2022 Olympic gold medalist, the one and only Jakara Anthony was again without peer over the moguls, registering a huge score of 81.69, more than three points ahead of second place. That is slaying it, isn't it? Did you watch her in Beijing earlier this year? Her going down the moguls, she was like, it didn't really look like anyone was ever going to come close to her. She was almost robotic in how good she was at the moguls. I think it takes that to win the gold medal. Mm-hmm. Yep. No one coming anywhere near you. Oh, you'd know, wouldn't you? And she's done it again. <laughs> well, <laughs> I haven't won a race in six years, but let's just remember Ellie t- 2015 prior. Yeah, great. Um, Anthony knows she is the one to beat after her exceptional performances last season. She said, I've definitely got a bit of a target on my back now, and I think there's going to be a lot more of learning experiences this season, but I'm really looking forward to it. How did you find being uh, having the target on your back uh, after Rio? Yeah, that was a big one. And even in the lead up to Rio, so we won the world champs that year, and so they were kind of talking about it in the lead up to that, kind of this pressure on the fact that we hadn't won a gold medal in a team sport since 2004. And for us, we made a very – conscious decision as a group that we wanted to embrace the pressure because it's a it's it's a lot right yeah and we actually decided to adopt the language like we were just always talking about the gold medal every day we'd rate our training based on whether it was good enough to win a gold medal so I think for us it was like if we talk about it and use the language all the time it almost becomes second nature and so that when you hear other people say it 
it doesn't sound as daunting. No, that makes sense. And I suppose it totally becomes part of your everyday routine mm-hmm. then. Gold medal routine. Yeah. Uh, well, Jakara has absolutely nailed it uh, with the pressure, winning mm-hmm. uh, the Olympics and then coming back and winning again. She further says to kick off the season with the win and the yellow bib is pretty massive. You come into the first event and you don't know what everyone's been doing since the last season. So it's exciting to come out and see what everyone can do and to show off your, what you're capable of. And she is capable of winning mm-hmm. and she did it again. Mm-hmm. In soccer, all eyes have been on the Men's Football World Cup in Qatar. And a big shout out to the Socceroos. They were very impressive. I think they proved a lot of people wrong that doubted them. Um, They fell 2-1 to Argentina in the round of 16, but had some pretty impressive performances throughout. So shout out to the Socceroos. Um, In some women's sports news, which is, you know, why we're here. here. (laughs) (laughs) Some pretty cool news that came out and caused a bit of a commotion on our social media, I would say. So what happened was the USA women's team are going to share in the US men's team prize money. So we've spoken about in the past on The Wrap, the equal pay agreement that US soccer brokered when they signed the new collective bargaining agreement. But this is the first time we've seen it in practice. So pretty much they went to they went through a legal battle and what the women said is we actually generate more revenue than the men but for many years we've been receiving less funds it should be an equal pay agreement and they actually won that case in in federal court so that in practice means that when the US men won 13 million dollars in prize money for reaching the final 16 in Qatar before they lost 3-1 to the Netherlands that amount will now be shared equally between the men's and women's teams less 10% which will go to the US soccer federation So the crazy part of it all is that the $6.5 million going to the women's team is more than they won in total for their last two World Cup victories. The US women's national team earned $4 million for winning the 2019 World Cup and $2 million for their title in 2015. That's huge news. Huge. And you know what? It's going to be really interesting to see how the US women's team, who are already so dominant, mm-hmm. are going to be over the next few World Cups with like such a difference in pay between the countries. Yes. And see how that affects the game. Yeah, it's a great question. So I think it's time for Australia to do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's interesting you say that because we know that the Women's World Cup is going to be played in Australia and New Zealand next year. And you were part of that. Yes. Are you at the um, the draw? I am so excited. So I'm, I am a... Uh, FIFA Women's World Cup ambassador, amazing, which is great. I don't quite know what that means yet, <laughs> but uh, also going to be attending with Optus Sport. So cool. very exciting. I've got a lot to learn. I think t- everyone's telling me to watch Ted Lasso. Oh, have you not done it yet? Not yet. Oh, he's a beautiful man. I think <laughs> I think you'll like him a lot. I reckon you got a bit of Ted Lasso about you. What does that mean? <laughs> he's just a lovely, lovely man who loves life. Okay. And I feel like I would put you in a similar category. As long as that was a compliment, that's yes, fine. Yes, definitely. Definitely a compliment. Am I going on with the more soccer? Oh, wait. No, <laughs> let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I should be running the show over here. I'm getting distracted by Ted Lasso. So in the lead up to the World Cup that's going to be on home soil for us, we don't yet know what the prize money is going to be. I think there's probably going to be a fair bit of pressure on FIFA to step up here and announce um, announce a an amount that's acceptable looking at the the incredible growth that we've seen in women's football. So FIFA president Gianni Infantino has said he wants to at least double the pot from 2019 
However, that would still only take the total pool to $60 million, which is not even close to the $440 million handed out to men's teams in Qatar. Walker Zimmerman, who's part of the US squad in Qatar and a member of the US Men's Players Union, said in May that he was happy with the deal. There are tough conversations, but at the end of the day, it's the right thing to do. It's something that the US women's team deserve. It's something that they have fought for so hard. And to be honest, sometimes it does feel like we have just kind of come alongside them and had been a little late. The US men's national team broke viewer numbers when they faced England last week when 20 million people tuned in across all platforms. That number, however, was still a way off the all-time viewing record for a soccer match on a single network in the US, which stands at 25.4 million for the Women's World Cup final in 2015. That is outrageous that there is still such a price disparity with those statistics. And I, what I love about these is it's broadcast and pay that the women's teams are, are bringing in more than the men. And so it's it doesn't the pay disparity no longer makes sense, right? There's not actually evidence saying that the women shouldn't be paid equally to the men. They're actually bringing in more than what the men are. Mm, so I wonder what the decision is behind the decision. That's, that's <laughs> a deep question. But you know what? This, I think in 20 years' time, this is going to be a classic case study at university and hopefully uh, you know, something that, that shocks the students that thinking that this happened once upon a time. Yeah, cool. Very true. More in soccer, in the A-League Women's City Derby, it was all Remy Seamson. Seamson is recently back from a stint in Sweden and was outstanding for Sydney FC against the Western Sydney Wanderers. The Sky Blues went down a player after captain Natalie Tobin was sent off just before halftime. But thanks to a moment of brilliance from Seamson, Sydney FC managed to score a 1-0 victory Seamson's goal brought her equal with fellow Matilda's striker, Caitlin Ford, legend, as the top derby goal scorer with six. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even get the ball in once. How are you at soccer? Terrible. <laughs> One, I'm right-handed and left-footed, so how do you think I'll It's go? a hard combo. <laughs> it's a hard combo. She said, after the match, I'm so happy to be home. I think we were a bit unlucky not to get a few more goals today, but it was a good fight. To get a goal today against the Wanderers felt so nice. And the new kids on the block just keep winning. Western United emerged from the jaws of defeat to topple Adelaide United 2-1 in a thrilling top-of-the-table clash. United left it extremely late with Sydney Cummings equalising in the 91st minute before Emma Rober's brilliant strike snatched all three points in the seventh minute of stoppage time. The win secured Western United's place on top of the table. They're so impressive. They're a brand new team in the competition and they're sitting on top of the table. How, How do they cool do it? is that? How do they do it? I don't know. I don't know. I reckon they've um I reckon they've built themselves a pretty good list. Someone needs to make a documentary on them. Oh, they should have followed. I hope someone's already following them hope from so. the beginning. In surfing, Sophie McCulloch went into the final World Surf League qualification event in Hawaii, needing a win to qualify for the World Tour next season. And she got the job done. It was a tense final against local Betty Lou Secura Johnson, but she held on for a 15 to 14.34 victory. That win secured fifth place in the qualifying series and means she will join fellow Aussies, Molly Picklem and Macy Callahan, who finished second and third overall. The World Two Up begins in January at the prestigious Billabong Pipeline event. McCulloch said after her win, she wasn't totally sure of what was required before the event. 
It means so much to me. And I actually had a lot of self-doubt heading into this event. Someone told me it's not over. So I didn't know exactly what needed to happen and just knew I needed to give it my all. It added some nerves, but I'm really proud of my ability to regroup and just have the same intention. Question, how much would you have to get paid to surf pipeline? The question should be, how much would I be paid to surf at all? (laughs) Just on the whitewash? Oh, just in the kiddies paddling pool. Thank you. I'm actually trying out some surfing on the weekend. I've had a new surfing surfing prosthetic made. Oh, and cool. it's going to be the most frustrating thing in the world because, of course, I like to be good at everything straight away. Mm-hmm. And surfing is really hard. Yes. And then surfing on one leg, I can imagine. Wait, so how does a surfing prosthetic work? It only bends to a certain amount of degrees. Don't ask okay. me what. Okay. Um, and it's kind of like not made for general day-to-day walking and yeah. so it's kind of just looks like a little pole with a flappy foot at the end <laughs> great does the flappy foot grip enough onto the board ask me after the weekend okay and i'll I be able to let you know that. great great let's move on to golf the dual gender australian open was played over the weekend in victoria and south african ashley buhai held her nerve over a tensed back nine holes to secure the victory with a score of 12 under par. It has been an outstanding year for Buhai, who added the Australia Open to her British Open triumph earlier this year. Australia's latest addition to the LPGA, Grace Kim, played her way into a share of the lead heading down the 18th, but unfortunately found a fairway bunker. Doesn't that suck when that happens? The bunker really gets you. It really gets you. Anyway, it got her. That put an end to her title hopes. Aussies Hannah Green, 10 under, Grace Kim, 9 under, Minji Lee, 8 under, and Stephanie Kiriaku, 5 under, all cracked the top 10. Go girls. Yeah. Buhai was emotional after her final round and said, it's the cherry on top. It's pretty cool that my name is on this trophy as well as the British Open with a lot of greats. What a great year for her. Mm-hmm. She's been awesome. Mm. Let's take a look at the key story. The key story this week is you, Ellie Cole. What a segue. You had your first swim today post-retirement. Well, you've done a bit of a John Farnham. You had a, I feel like you had a couple of – I feel like you had your retirement and then you kind of were back and then you're not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's just clear some things up here. I retired in Tokyo and then Kate and Bronte Campbell were all, both like, let's go to the Commonwealth Games. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be so much fun? Mm-hmm. And so I got back in and then Kate – went to Europe for like a year or something. Mm. Yeah, she was gone for a long time. She was gone for a very long time. And then, and then Bronte decided that she wanted to start working. And so I was just left in Birmingham on my own, wasn't I? Mm-hmm. And so that was my first comeback. And then my second comeback was Jewel in the Pool because they had a mixed para Ablebod relay. Yes. And I wasn't going to retire before that. It was only an extra six weeks of training. So, yes, I did retire three times. But – for good reasons. Absolutely. Mm. How was your swim today, your first swim since post-proper retirement? Um, pretty shocking, to be honest. Usually as an elite athlete, if I spend about two weeks out of the water, I would feel quite funny and it's been about five or six months. And yeah, so wow. Like my ankles stiffened up and my shoulders are stiffening up and I guess my body's morphing into a normal body. Um, it's not quite as flexible as it once was. And also I don't know how to swim straight anymore. <laughs> how has the transition been? There's so much talk around retirement and the fact that athletes 
attach so much of their identity to their sport. Has it been a positive or a negative experience for you so far? It's been very positive, but I'm aware that most athletes don't have a positive experience. Um, But, you know, it was really interesting when I was at the Women's World Cup draw, I was speaking to one of the US soccer players, actually, and she said that she, her theory is that um, the way that you deal with retirement depends on what you valued when you're an athlete. Okay. And so her theory is that, you know, if you valued a lot of your self-worth on if you won or not, mm-hmm. then you're probably going to struggle in retirement. As a Paralympian towards the back end of my career, um, I did want to win, but I more valued like the social impact that being a Paralympian had. Mm. And I can still kind of do that outside of the sport. And so I'm not struggling with my retirement at all, uh, which is great. But I could be in the future. So mm. I'm just keeping my eye out. That's also the other thing, you know, people are much more open to talking about how they're feeling with retirement or feeling with a transition. And so I think you can look out for the markers a bit earlier than what you would have maybe a decade ago. Yeah, I really like this idea around what you value and that idea of finding your purpose. Because I think for me, the Female Athlete Project has been kind of my parallel thing where I've been like, I get my identity from sport and I work really hard and and like you, I want to win, but I get so much purpose and fulfillment from doing the Female Athlete Project stuff that I hope when I get to that point of retirement that it makes that transition a bit more seamless because it's not it's not your sole identity, right? Yeah, and I think- Ugh, so many organizations are realizing how important that well-being space is and finding who you are outside of the sport. And now that I've actually transitioned to the other side, I can't emphasize how important that is. So mm. um, even though I'm retired now and probably will never swim again after today. <laughs> you scarred. I do I do want to keep my eye out for the athletes that are still in the sport and yeah, just, cool. you know, still mentoring and everything, making sure that they're doing the right things. And what does your life look like now? Uh, I'm sleeping in every morning. Oh, that's nice. I also have insomnia because I'm not training six hours a day anymore. Oh, so you've got kind of energy and you're just lying there. I feel like I don't need to sleep at all. Wow. Um, Which is crazy. And I used to love sleeping when I was a swimmer. Like it was honestly like my top three favorite things to do. Mm. And now I hate it. And I actually was laying in bed last week and I had to Google what it means if you hate going to sleep. Mm. And I was on Reddit and it was like, you're depressed or you have anxiety. And I was like, no, like I love my life so much that I don't want to go to sleep because I feel like I'm wasting that time. Mm. Um, And so that's been really interesting. Over the weekend, it was International Day of People with a Disability. You had a bit of an incident on your way in here that you, you were raging about as you came inside, actually. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Do you want to tell us about that? Well, you know, not many people see me rage and it takes a lot for me to um, become angry or upset over something. But like we've just, I've already started, look, we've just had International Day of People with a Disability, which is a wonderful day where people are able to, I suppose, assess what they're doing in their own lives to help make the lives of others easier. Um, now, I was trying to find a car park to come up to uh, help you out today. and. There were two mobility parking spots and two people were sitting in them just in like a waiting bay. And so I've seen that all day in Sydney today. I've seen it on six separate occasions, people using mobility parking as a waiting bay. And I I kind of had had enough. It was the end of the day. And so I just politely, very politely knocked on their window and asked if they had a pass because you don't want to assume. Yes. 
Um, and they were really embarrassed as they should have been. Mm-hmm. And they left the building. When I say building the car park, um, but it just made me realize like the decisions that we make, you know, yeah, sure, we might be stopping to pick up a, a friend or something, but there's somebody out there who has a significant impairment that needs that spot and you're being selfish and using it as a waiting bay. So, um, yeah, I got pretty mad. Mm. What's next for Ellie Cole? Have you set yourself any ambitious goals? post-swimming or are you kind of just rolling with it? Um, I was thinking of doing like adaptive CrossFit, but then oh, I got on cool. TikTok and there's this chick with one leg who like, I don't even know what's called, it's like a snatch thing. Yeah. Um, like 70 kilos or something on one leg. And I was like. Is that the video that went viral? She, I, does, the, she does it a few times. It's crazy. Yeah. Like if I drop something on the floor and try to pick it up, I basically fall over. <laughs> I was thinking, okay, I got a bit of work to do. And then I had a look at a bit of wheelchair tennis because I was like, if Dylan Alcott can do that, I yes, can do that. Yes. And then I had a look at who my competitor would be. And I was like, uh, no, I can't do that either. Mm-hmm. So um, just kind of looking at different sports. I like it. I like it a and lot. It's not tennis and it's not CrossFit. But what's really exciting in Paris is that um, we will have para rock climbing for the first time. And I love rock climbing. So you want to meet me at the wall next week, Chloe? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go rock climbing. That will be fun. If anyone wants to join us, hit us up on TFAP. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> look at you go. You're the best co-host. Let's take a look at what to watch. It's me, actually, not you. It might be the off-season for rugby league, but you can still get your fix via a new ABC doco called A League of Her Own. The film follows the 2021 Queensland State of Origin women's team in their quest to win the trophy from New South Wales. Up the Mighty Blues. What, who do you support? Either. I just love them both. Okay, that's <laughs> fine as long as it's not Queensland. You can catch the inspirational story on ABC iView now. Round five of WNBL features a huge Wednesday night match between the Melbourne Boomers and the Townsville Fire, who are second and third on the ladder, respectively. I love a playoff like this. Mm -hmm. Tip-off at the State Basketball Centre is 6.30pm and you can watch live on ESPN. The Elisa Healy-led Aussie cricket team kick off their T20 International Series against India in Mumbai on Saturday morning. The match starts at 12.30am AEDT and you can watch live on Foxtel, KO and the Seven Network. In the A-League women on Saturday, second-placed Melbourne City host the Newcastle Jets at Casey Fields. The match kicks off at 3pm and if you can't get out there to watch in person, you can see it live and free on the 10-play app. And that's the wrap. Amazing. Ellie Cole, I'm so impressed by you. Do I get this tea fat mug? I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> gift that mug to you for your time. You were exceptional. Thank you. It's my birthday very in a much. few days. My happy birthday. birthday. Present. <laughs> I've brought you a used mug to say happy birthday. <laughs> well, now that I'm retired, maybe you can fill it with something stronger. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, we'll make that happen. Um, thank you so much again for, for rocking up and, and getting it done. You I had were, a great time. You were great. And a big thanks to Bez who couldn't be here, but she still actually, she drove in her van to find Wi-Fi so that she could still get the research done for today's episode. We're thinking of you, Bez. Yep. Having a hard time drinking beers up the coast. I'm sure she's having a <laughs> terrible time. Um, and a massive thank you to the amazing team at Workplace Law who hosted us today in, uh, in the champion's room. See you next week. See you next week.